0: Thanks for tuning in to the Harvest Springs weekly podcast. Every week we'll provide you with the weekend message from our Sunday service. Well, good morning. How are those cookies? I hope you uh, enjoyed them. Uh, Let's, uh, I went and I talked to about as many people as I could, kind of just bouncing around. And I asked, kind of a little impromptu survey of people's favorite cereal. And in the first service, the, uh, the number one cereal was Frosted Mini Wheats. So anybody with me on that one? No, uh, 10 o'clock service, boo. Uh, this service, the number one, not Lucky Charms. In fact, I've only heard Lucky Charms one time. That's it, I, but I love Lucky Charms. Most, most people when I ask, they're like, oh, any, any sugary cereal? <laughs> We just like the sugar. But uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, that was pretty high on the list. Uh, Cheerios made it a couple times, the, ver- the different versions, Cheerios or Honey Nut Cheerios. But you know one that didn't get mentioned at all in the first service, but I heard multiple times this service? Life. Life. So uh, so anyway, I'm glad you guys, uh, how many of you guys are Life fans? I like life, too. Let's, let's live it well. wait, right, Well, I'm going to write something up here on the board, and I want you to figure out what it is. Blue 1R, 4 delay, 7-1. Somebody said a football play, and they're absolutely right. How many of you guys played football when you were in high school? Anybody? got a different play, grade school? There are different plays. And uh, some of you guys are already rolling your eyes at me like, oh, Corey's talking about football again. Well, a little football lesson here. Uh, There are 11 guys on a football field. Well, on a uh, football team. Well, on the field at any given time. Okay? So, so. On offense, when you have the ball, you have certain plays that you are trying to uh, execute in order to get the ball across the goal line. Uh usually starts with five linemen, okay? This would be the center and the two guards and the two tackles, okay? And then you have a quarterback, and then uh, this blue one for, for our team was a formation. It told us that we had uh, we had two running backs, split, tight end, we knew it was right, so the tight end would go to the right, and so would the wide receiver in the slot, okay? And, uh, and they would line up like this, okay? So tight end, this is the tight end here. That was me. This was our best play. Now, blue one R meant that then the quarterback was going to roll to the right, Okay, he was going to come this way. This R also meant that these guys were going to drift over and they were going to provide a little help for the uh, quarterback as he rolled this way. Okay, so that's what the R stands for. So blue one is a formation. R says, hey, this is what's happening for delay. The first number here is for the tight end. That means that the tight end has a four-route, but it's delayed, right? So that means he's going to pretend like he's blocking, and then he's going to take off and run a four-route, which is a five yards and straight down the line of scrimmage, okay? The seven-route is for the wideout, and the seven was a deep slant, 10 yards, and then towards the goalposts, And then the one was a short. So it's just five yards and then across towards the goalpost. Okay. Now, this play is designed to go to this guy, to the tight end, because everybody's got a part to play. This guy comes and blocks, 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 right? They're all in pass protection. Quarterback's going to get the ball. These guys are going to come do pass protection. Quarterback's rolling to the right. The tight end's going to pretend like he's pass blocking, which is going to make what? The defender think, oh, I don't have to cover him, and they're going to rush. Right? We want that guy to rush. So my job was to sell it. Right? You block, block, and then like, oh, I let you pass. You beat me. But then I would slip out and no one would be covering me. And it happened over and over and over that I would get this pass right here all by our lonesome because these two guys were taking their defenders and running them away from the play. Are we following? In a football play, and if you have your notes, in a football, on a football team, every single person on this team has an essential part to play. They all have an important role. If this guy, who is the furthest away from the play, but if he fails, a guy, this defensive end or outside linebacker can like sweep around and catch and disrupt, the, catch the quarterback right here, right? If this guy fails his job, the whole play could be for naught, even if everyone else does their job perfectly. Every person for a play to be successful it has to do their job. They have to know what it is, and they have to execute. So in your notes, every on a football team, every part is essential. If 10 team members do their part, but one fails in their duty, the play fails. It is the nature of being on a team that you understand your role, what your job responsibility is, and that you contribute or you do it faithfully. Or are we following here? Make sense? Okay. Every person, let's just say the quarterback, the, the coach calls this play, but the quarterback doesn't know what to do. What if the quarterback goes, ah, I'm not sure, and he then runs left instead? Is this going to be a successful play? No. What if the quarterback says, you know what? I don't need this tackle. Why don't you just go in, for get, it, get some water. We don't need you. Or is this play going to be a success? Probably not, right? Because you got a free uh, outside linebacker coming right down the the quarterback's throw. We need that guy, even though he's the furthest away. What if these guys decide they're just going to do their own thing? And so instead of running this five-yard out or five-yard in slant, they run five yards, and then they cut this way. Well, what happens Now, all of a sudden, this guy is bringing his defender and bringing them right into where we're trying to throw the ball. Now, instead of this being wide open, now it's covered. Just because this guy decided to modify his role in the play just a little bit. In a play design, every part is essential, and we have to realize that so it is in the body of Christ. We are a part of a team. We all have parts to play. And it's important for us as team members to know what our role is, how God has uniquely created us and shaped us to to serve and contribute, and then to do it with faithfulness. Because if we don't, guess what? The whole team suffers. The whole team suffers. We've been talking in this series, the core, about the five core values of our church. The first week we went through uh, Psalm 107, verses 35, 36, and 37, which is the, the founding passage of our church. And we talked about how out of that passage comes five core values. And these values are ultimately what drive us. They're what shape our decisions. It's what we commit ourselves to. It's what we invest in. Last week, we talked about the first core value of being rooted. We're rooted in Christ. We're rooted as a church in the word, and we're rooted in each other. And we're going to go beyond that last part and talk about being relational today. So the second core value is being relational. The third core value is being real or authentic. The fourth core value, and I have a slide, uh, you could put that up there if you would, that's got all of these on there so you can see it. So it's it's being rooted, being relational. We got it? So the very first one, I think. Uh Uh-oh. Are we stuck? Anyway, just write them down if you need to. Being rooted, being relational, being real, authentic, being relevant, and being uh, results-oriented, or we're pursuing fruit. Okay? So Uh, In Psalm 107, verses 35, 36, and 37, here's what it says. God changes a pool of water and uh, changes a wilderness into a pool of water and a dry land into springs of water. This is the idea where we get harvest springs, that God does a work of transformation in a desert. He brings up a pool of living water, and thus then people begin to gather and rally around it. In verse 36, it says, and there he makes the hungry to dwell. The hungry, they're, they're thirsty for water. They're hungry for the food that, that water can sustain and grow. And so they plant themselves there. And it says they establish an inhabited city. And then in verse 37, it says, and they sow fields and they plant vineyards. They reap a fruitful harvest. And we believe that's what God wants to do in and through us is to birth forth rivers of living water through those who God has brought into this place as a church, and that it's in the oasis of of Christ in us, while we live in this desert of spiritual wilderness, that God begins to draw people in that become a part of our community. Because we all need it. We need community. We can't live on our own. In fact, Here's what the Bible says we were created to be in community. The very first thing in your notes is that we were created to be relational as members of God's kingdom. You weren't just created to be relational. You were created to be relational as members of a team, of, of a nation, of God's people, right? You were created to be relational inside of this bigger family Team context. Listen to what God does with Adam at creation. In Genesis chapter 2, Adam has been created, right? We know that God, uh, Eden is God's home. It's his kingdom, right? It's his throne. We, we talked about this many years ago, or uh, many months ago when we were doing the kingdom series. We talked about what it actually means. That Eden was God's, God's home. It was his throne, So when God created Adam and placed him in Eden, right, Adam is in God's kingdom. Adam has a job. He has a relationship with God. He's got a place to live. He's got animals to, you know, have his pets. He's got everything, right, except relationship with anyone other that was like himself, And God says this in Genesis 2.18. He says, it is not good that man should be alone. It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. I will create a context where he can be relational with someone else, that they can walk together and support one another. They can live in an interdependent way with one another. We could go throughout the Bible and talk about how important it is for us to have relationships with others. Ecclesiastes talks about how two are better than one uh, you know because they have a good return for their labor and talks about how woe to the man who stumbles and falls and there's no one to help him. If they're all by themselves and they have a problem, right? there's no relational support to kind of keep you going. I went to our mount uh, to our uh, cabin uh, Friday and yesterday, and I, I sometimes will go by myself, and that's always a weird feeling because if anything happened out there, there's no cell phone service out there. It's, it'd be a month before they'd me, find me. Uh, but this time, I went with my son, Peyton. Like, I had somebody there. And so we were walking down this road, and and uh, he started asking me about mountain lions and bears. <laughs> and I said, well, they're out here. And uh, we walked past a few piles of bear scat, and... And I said, well, if anything happens to me, you'll know what to do, right? Because what? He could grab my phone. He could run to the place where there's service. We talked about where that would be, and he could call, And right? That gave me a lot of comfort, knowing that I'm not alone, that there's someone I can depend on, and he can depend on me. We can be interdependent upon one another. So God looks at man and says, look, you've got everything. You're living in my presence. You're living in my kingdom. You're part of my family. Uh, you know, We have a relationship together. You have a, a home. You have animals. You've got a job, responsibility, purpose. You've got it all, but you know what you need? You need relationship. It's not good that you don't have it. We have to understand the same. We need relationships with one another. We are created for that. John 13, 34, 35, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this, a new command I give you. Command. Right, this is pretty, when was the last time you've commanded your children to do something? I command you to get me a drink out of the fridge. You know, we, we don't use that kind of language very often. We don't command people to do much of anything, but Jesus here uses that language in regards to what he's just about ready to say. He says, I'm commanding you to do this. And trust me, this is not just to his disciples in that moment. It's also to us. And he says, love one another. I am commanding you, love one another. Do you know that implied inside of that command is an understanding that you're going to have some connection relationally to other believers? You're going to have to be relationally interdependent. Do you know why? Why? because it's really hard to love one another without the one another, right? You can't do it. Love has to be expressed in the context of others. And so when Jesus said, I'm commanding, you've got to love one another. He says, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, that this command from God is clearly a command for us to live relationally interdependent with one another to be a part of the team, and to be engaged fully in it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, Paul writes this, and he's talking about the body. We're going we're gonna to get deeper into this here in a moment. But here's what he says. He says, now you are the body of Christ. You are the church. You are part of members of Christ's kingdom. And he says, and you're individually members of it. It means that you and I have to understand that we aren't just individuals in and of ourselves. We're members of Christ's body. We have individual uniqueness. We're, We're different. All of us have different things that we bring to the table, but we're all a part of the family of God, and it's important and essential that we know what our part is, and we do it faithfully. We are the body of Christ, and we each are individuals inside of it. When we talked about this in uh, uh, when we looked at Psalm 107, verses 35, 36, and 37, what we saw is that little part in verse 36 where it says that there he causes the hungry to dwell, that they may establish an inhabited city. And last, we took a look at that part, and we said part of that is that we're rooting ourselves. We're leaving the ways of the world right and we're now orienting ourselves around the water around the living water of Christ and as a church right individually we leave the ways of the world and we see that the living water of Christ is available to us and he's inviting us into his kingdom he's inviting us to move and relocate our lives right when we accept that invitation we then go and we dwell there we put down roots around the living water because the closer we are to the living water, the easier our life will be. And so we, we reorient our lives around the king. But then it goes on to say, they, they dwell there so that they may establish an inhabited city. Well, what is a city? A city is just a community of people that have chosen to live in proximity with one another so that they can support and be interdependent with one another. Now, I wrote interdependent on my notes, and every time uh, my little spell check told me it's not a real word. There is no such thing evidently, according to my spell check, is interdependent. It always wanted to change it to independent. But that is the exact opposite of what we're trying to explain. First, we know what dependence is right? If I'm dependent upon you, I need you to do something. I'm, I'm needing you to accomplish something for my own personal benefit. I'm depending on you, okay? But if we're interdependent, it means not only am I leaning on you, but you also need something from me. In this play, right, every player is interdependent upon the other, If I'm the tight end, I need the quarterback to roll to the right because it's going to make this throw a lot easier. If I'm the tight end here, I need these two players to actually run their routes because they're going to clear out the defenders from that side of the field. And guess what? We're going to be open over here. If, If I'm the quarterback, I need these two running backs to come and provide some support because... As I'm leaving, I'm leaving a free defender here. I'm blocking, blocking, and then leaving a defender. Well, guess what? If that defender comes up and tackles the quarterback, then we're in trouble. Right? So I need some support on this side. Right? We're all interdependent. Now the, the ball might just go from center to quarterback and quarterback to tight end. But every single one of these pieces are depending on one another. So it is inside of the church. Communities are relationally interdependent we have things we need from one another listen to what Paul writes in first Corinthians chapter 12. now if you have your Bibles I'd encourage you to open up there we're going to start in verse 4 of chapter 12 something that you should know about first Corinthians is uh, is Paul is writing this letter, in response to a lot of questions that the Corinthian church had about how to do church. So the context of first Corinthians uh, is Paul's giving instruction to how to do church to the church. And so one of the questions they asked was about spiritual gifts. Hey, how does, how are do all the spiritual gifts work? And what's all the deal with, you know, all the different gifts and different things people have different uh, manifestations of gifts and how does that all work and how do we function as a church And so in in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, Paul gives an incredible framework for how the church loves one another. If you know anything about chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, what do you know about that? It is the love chapter. So it's the love chapter. If I have the, you know, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm nothing, right? It goes on, love is patient, love is kind, right? We we hear this quoted in weddings all the time, but it was not written in the context of husbands and wives. It was written in the context of brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And so it starts in chapter 12, continues on, and gives the context of it all being love in chapter 13, and then some further descriptions of how the church Kind of organizes and manages all of these different giftedness in services. It just lays out in in chapter 12, 13, and 14. But here's what it says in verse 4 of chapter 12. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now, you can imagine, as people were were trying to figure this out, right? There's different talents, abilities, gifts. Everyone's unique. Not everybody does the same thing inside of a church. And so in the Corinthians' mind, the question kind of came up, well, if you act that way, or you have this gift over here, and it's different between that person and that person, then maybe there's one spirit that runs that gift and one spirit over here that runs that gift. And then there's a whole bunch of spirits that are, are, are working in people at different times. And Paul just clarifies that and says, no, no, no. It's all through one God. All. So listen again, there are a variety of kind of gifts, right? Different kind of gifts, but what? The same spirit. There are a variety of different services, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them in everyone. So we might have differences in the church. We might have different abilities and talents and skills, but what does the Bible say? It says God is using us all. It's this, We have one coach, so to speak, one coach is calling the plays. One coach is giving us kind of the directions. He's ultimately the one that's shaping how we work together in the body. It goes on to say, in verse 7, to each person is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Let's stop there for a moment. Who's included in each person? Anybody here in this room that's not included in each person? No, we're all included young, old, you know, somewhere in between, we are all included. Each person is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? For the good of the team, for the common good. I remember when uh, when I I had a bad coach in seventh grade or uh, in uh, seventh grade or uh, it's probably more ninth grade was the worst one. So, so I did not want to play football ever again. I moved to a new community when I was a sophomore and the coach pulled up outside of my house and he said, I want to introduce myself. I'm the football coach. Uh, And he said, "Um, you're interested in playing football. I said, no. He said, have you played football? I said, yeah, but I, I just, yeah, I just am not interested. I don't think I like it. He said, well, why don't you like it? So to be honest with you, I, I got kind of stuck in some different places and just really, uh, I don't think I really enjoyed playing what I play. And my coach said this. He said, if you'll come out for football, I'll let you play anywhere you want. I'll let you play anywhere you want. But he said, I'm just taking an assessment of you. He said, "You look like a pretty big kid, pretty athletic." I said, oh, "Okay." You're amazingly handsome. No. I'm... <laughs> he said, uh, "He said you look. Are you are you fast?" I said, well, "I'm not super fast, but I'm, I'm I'm okay." He said, "Can you catch?" I said, "I can catch." He said, "You know what? You might make a perfect tight end." He said, "You know why? Because tight ends." use their size. Sometimes they're blocking and, and, uh, and we're opening holes for the running game, but sometimes they'll go out for passes. And, uh, and if you, if you got a little bit of athleticism, you're kind of fast and you can catch, you would be perfect there. Ultimately over the next three years, I found that I was really good at this. In fact, at the end, when I was a senior, I got recruited by several colleges to come play and, um, It was a perfect fit. That was all helping, that was helped by my coach who looked at my skill set, my talents, kind of the abilities that I had, and then put me in a spot that I could benefit the whole team. This is what God does for us. God looks at how he has created you and how he's uniquely gifted you and how he's shaped you. And he goes, you know what? They need that kind of person at Harvest Springs. I don't know what your talents, gifts, and abilities are. I don't know what your spiritual giftedness is, what your passions are, you know, your abilities, personalities, you know, uh, experiences. I don't know any of that. But here's what I know. We need you here. We need you here. We need you and the unique makeup that God has created in you. We need you to know what that is, and to be investing deeply in the team. Because God is orchestrating, just like it says here, he is giving to each the manifestations of his spirit for the benefit of the team, so that we all can experience the benefit of life together, relationally interdependent. Paul goes on in verse 8, he says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another ability to distinguish spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And then he says this, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Then verse 12, for just as the body is one and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, Jew or uh, Greek, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So Paul basically just says, we're all members of a body. We're each individual. There's different kinds of members, not necessarily like, no, we're not talking about church members here. We're talking about like different parts. There are different parts to the body of Christ. And then in verse 14, he kind of describes it even more in this body context. He says, for the body does not consist consist of one member, but of many. If all were a single member, there would be, or where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I think it's fascinating to to take a look at how Paul uh, describes right up front how many people see themselves in the body of Christ. Maybe the, the number one reason why many people don't involve themselves deeply in community at the church level, relational interdependence. One of the chief reasons they don't involve themselves there is because they don't think they're important. They don't feel like they're a valuable part. And so they feel as if, if I just leave, or if I just go off in the corner, or if I just don't do my part, right? No one's going to notice and it's not going to affect anything. Notice here, it says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to belong to the body. What is the foot actually saying? I mean, the foot's looking at the hand and you can imagine why the hand gets a lot of, you know, press, right? The hand can do a lot of things, right? It can pick up stuff, you know, you know, it can hold things. It can draw, right? It can pick up coffee and bring it to the mouth. Like how great is that? Uh, This isn't coffee, by the way. Um, Right. The hand is tremendously valuable. We use our hands all the time. And so, if you're a foot and you see someone who's a hand who kind of, Oh man, how awesome would it be a hand? I mean, they, they got, they get, they get to be out and everybody can see them. I have to be stuck under some shoes and you know, uh, nobody ever gets to see my beauty and, and uh, right. I, like I'm just not as important as, as the hands are. So I must not be part of the body. And so to a certain extent, they feel insignificant, insecure, and they kind of, They kind of push themselves away. And Paul says, just because they don't think they're a part of the body doesn't mean they're not. Just because you may not fully understand all the beautiful giftedness and uniqueness that God has created in you, it does not mean you are not a valuable and important and essential part of the body. We need you. Just because you look at yourself and say, well, I don't have all the gifts that, you know, that person that's teaching the Sunday school class has. Or I don't have, you know, the speaking ability that, uh, you know, Pastor Neil has. Or, you know, I don't have the, the good looks that Pastor Corey has, or I, whatever. I, I'm kind of stuck on that right now. I don't know why. <laughs> but just because you're not like someone else doesn't mean what you bring to the table isn't essential and important. Are you, kind of, are you guys picking up what I'm putting down here? I'm desperately trying to help you understand that every single person in this room, it doesn't matter what you think about yourself, you are a valuable and important and essential part of this community. Our body needs you, and you need the body. We need each other. The Bible calls us to live interdependently. It goes on to verse 21. It says, the I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. So then Paul kind of shifts from the people who are kind of feeling insecure, like they're kind of left out, to then some people inside of the church, they kind of have this haughty attitude. Like, man, I am the best around here. And if you're not like me, then you need to get like me, because, man, there need to be more of me around here. Now, trust me, we don't we don't say that out loud, but sometimes we want that. We want people to be more like us and we want people to to operate in our unique giftedness or talents or abilities. We in some ways validate ourselves by thinking that our giftedness and God using us in certain ways, that's the important thing. When in reality, when we're all just doing our part, every single manifestation of the Spirit in our church is for the common good. It's for all of us working together. It's not about one person. Paul just said in just a few verses before that, right? If the whole body were Pastor Corey, then where would the congregation be, right? We would have real trouble if there was a whole bunch of me's around here, right? We need each other. So that's that's what I love about our staff and our team is, is we have uniqueness, that I'm different than Paul, Paul's different than Tucker, Tucker is different than Michael, Michael's different than Neil, Neil's different than Joe. We're all, you know, we all are are, but we're a great team. We work together, we bring different talents and abilities and skills to the table, and we do so for the common good. So listen to what it says, just note three, and then we're gonna we're gonna bang through the the rest of your notes. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to live interdependently. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live interdependently. If you're feeling like you don't know what your talents, abilities, gifts are, begin to pray about it. Ask God to reveal those things to us. Come talk to one of our pastoral staff about it. We would love to help you discover your unique fit in the kingdom of God. Number two, the whole community, the entire body, The whole church suffers if any one of us fails to live interdependently. We all need to do our part. We all are called to support one another. And as family members, we call each other to allegiance and faithfulness to the King. And sometimes that means that we have hard conversations with one another. Sometimes uh, not long ago, uh, I had had a conversation and I was kind of just gruff with a member of our congregation. I didn't even think about it. It was, I was in the middle of something and I kind of, I just was quick and short. And, uh, and one of our staff members had kind of witnessed it and had talked to that person and, and recognized it. They were kind of hurt by my, my kind of carelessness. And that staff person came to me and said, Corey, I know you probably didn't intend to, but, This was kind of your carelessness led to somebody feeling like you didn't really care. And, you know, just encouraging you to maybe be a little more aware and maybe you should go make things right. And I'm telling you, that was a valuable, precious uh, part of being in community with another believer. I had no idea. It didn't even register to me. But having someone, another brother, who saw something and said, you know what, let me help you be better here. We all need that kind of community. The third thing there is we must learn to value each other, or the, the second thing there is we must learn to value each other's contribution. It means we can't think we've got it all, but we have to recognize that we need each other, and we begin to value the unique contribution that each of us brings to the table. And the last thing, and then I'm going I'm to have the band come out, and we're going to do a, a final song. But the last thing is when you love your community, You'll invest in it, you'll serve it, and you'll protect it. When you love your community, you'll invest in it. Like I loved my football team, so you know what I did? I'd go into the weight room and lift weights, so I could be better. Right? That was my part of investing in my job. Right? The you know I'd go practice, and sometimes we stay after practice. We work on our talents and skills together. There were ways that we could invest in our team. There's ways we could serve each other, ways that we would protect and defend our team. I just want to challenge you to take a moment and stop and think about how deeply are you invested in the body of Christ. How much are you willing to invest in the kingdom of God and do your part, sharing your unique talents and abilities and then leaning on the unique talents and abilities of your brothers and sisters that are all around you. It's what it means to be a church. We need each other. Amen? I'm going to try that one more time, because I feel like, you know, that's kind of the whole point. <laughs> we need each other. Amen? We really do. And so, Father, we come together as brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. Lord, not only do we root ourselves in you and in your word, but we also root ourselves in each other. We realize that we need one another and you have called us not to be entities in and of ourselves, but you've called us to be members of your kingdom and you've adopted us into your family. And so God, will you help us understand what it means to do our part? Will you help us understand what it means to give and invest in the community that you've invited us into? And I pray, Lord, ultimately, when it's all said and done, that we would be a church that would be faithful to your command to love one another. And it's a world would see your goodness and grace in us as we live in community relationally with each other. Would you help us, Lord? We need it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us as we close? Thanks so much for listening to the Harvest Springs podcast. Our hope is that you hear the truth of God's word and that you are encouraged and challenged by it. If you would like to take your faith journey to the next level, check out the Getting Started Plan on our mobile app or our website, harvestsprings.com. The Getting Started Plan is a seven-day video-based teaching that will help you start your relationship with Jesus off in the right direction. And if there's anything that we can do to help, just fill out a connection card on our website or on the mobile app.